After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white, and where have they come from? I said to him, Sir, you are the one that knows. Then he said to me, These are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Today I have the honor of wearing for the first time a stole that I inherited from my second dad, Ed Beck. He and his wife, Faye, were really the ones who uh, raised me in the faith as an adult and became my second mom and dad. And Ed was about six, seven or six, eight, so I am grateful to our sewing ladies <laughs> for altering it so that I might wear it. But of course, Ed is one of my saints. We lost him four years ago, and I continue to have the life that I have and to be the person that I am because he was willing to pour himself into me. His love for me lives on in the faith that I carry. You see, each of us has people who are the saints, who have handed on the faith in Jesus Christ to us. Each of us has people that we have known personally, parents, 
spouses, brothers, sisters, friends, people who have handed down to us the love of Jesus Christ. All of us have people in the church that we remember as saints of the church, as those who taught us as little children, as those who uh, comforted us in our times of need, as those who made uh, for us the body of Christ and have been the saints who gave us faith and helped us to carry on that faith. And all of us are blessed by the saints that we do not even know. The saints who in the very beginning prayed the Lord's Prayer and transmitted that to us. The saints who wrote down the books in the Bible so that we might have them generation to generation. The saints who in the early church began to replicate Jesus' last supper and gave us this tradition of holy communion which we carry on today. So much of the church may change, and yet the saints have given to us so many things that give us life and give us hope and give us the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so once a year we pause to remember and to celebrate all the saints that have gone before us. So it might seem a little bit weird that we would use a passage from the book of Revelation. Uh, show of hands here today, how many of you, when you're feeling the need for some encouragement or comfort or inspiration, go, well, give me that old Revelation. Just what I need, huh? Hands, anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so. Revelation is one of the weirdest books in the Bible, to be sure. And yet, there are passages that we use for All Saints Day to remember. There are passages that we use at funerals and memorial services. And I think the book of Revelation too often gets a bad rap. It is misunderstood and misinterpreted that people turn to the book of Revelation and they go, oh, it's all these symbols about the end of times. And if we can just uh, uh, break the code here, we'll know when the end is. But you know, the funny thing is, Jesus said no sign will be given, and yet, here we are with the book of Revelation. In fact, this book was written at the end of the first century by people who were being persecuted by the Roman emperor. Uh, the Roman emperor at the time, Domitian, was not a nice guy. And uh, he would uh, expect that if asked, you would be willing to say, Caesar is Lord, even though you believe only Jesus is Lord. He believed that you should be willing to eat meat sacrificed to idols, and if you didn't do these things, you would probably be killed. Now, it's kind of hard for us to get our minds around that because we live in a country where we are free to worship as we see fit. But can you imagine having to choose between your life in this world and your life in the next? These Christians wanted to live, and yet they didn't want to risk their salvation. You know, me today, I'd be like, oh, I'll say, Caesar is Lord, but Jesus, in my head, you'll know, I don't believe it. But back then, that's not how they thought. 
They believed that it was either their life in this world or their life in the next. And you and I can't possibly know how we would react if we were faced with that kind of situation. Would we still say Jesus is Lord and no one else? Now, this is the situation that's being talked about in the book of Revelation. Because, listen, if you're being persecuted by an emperor, you're not going to say in the book, now, this emperor is a really bad dude. No, you're going to talk about him in symbolic language that the Christians can understand, but that if someone else gets it, they're not going to be going, uh-oh, you need to be killed because you said bad things about the emperor. You see, these people did believe they were living at the end of times. They did believe that this horrible world had to be coming to an end. They did believe that Jesus needed to come and rescue them from a world that seemed like it was the worst possible world. And so it is with every generation of Christians. Is there any generation of Christians that hasn't looked around the world and said, this is really a difficult terrible, harmful, unloving, dangerous place. You can imagine that, say, at the start of World War I, when they'd never seen a war of that magnitude, they must have said, well, this has got to be the end. This is the worst possible ever. And so today, how many people say, today, this must be the worst possible time ever in the history of human beings. Where is Jesus? It must be the end of times. Now, the funny thing is we don't really know why. Part of the mystery of the faith is why doesn't God intervene right now and put an end to the wars that we're seeing and the mass shootings that we're seeing, put an end to the violence, put an end to hunger, put an end to all these things uh, that we just know are, the, are not the right way to live. Why hasn't God done this? And the best answer I can give, because it's a mystery, is that God doesn't live in history. And for God, the Eternal is already with us. For God, God's love has already been poured out into this world. For God, God is saying, I already invite you into living in eternity that is love. It already exists, but it's just so hard for us to claim it. You know, this book of Revelation in this passage today does help us think about a couple things for our lives in a difficult world. And one of them is this. It says, it is okay to grieve. It is okay to grieve the ones we've lost. It's okay to grieve a suffering world. It's okay to grieve the things we love, our, our animals, our, our homes, our lives, and things that we lose. It's okay to grieve. In fact, I would even go so far to say that grieving is a gift because no one grieves if they haven't loved. You do not grieve if you haven't loved. If you don't know what love is, you don't 
feel grief and tears. And it is a gift to love and to be loved. It is a gift to know the love of God in Jesus Christ in the midst of a hurting and suffering world. It is a gift to grieve. And what's more, this passage in Revelation says to us that God will wipe away every tear from every eye. And not only does it say it in chapter 7 of Revelation, it says it also in chapter 21. Every tear shall be wiped from every eye. There will not be any more suffering. There will not be grief. There will not be sorrow. There will not be loss. There will not be that feeling of, I wish I could see my loved one just one more time. That will be no more. Which means that the promise of God is that we will dwell in the fullness of love, that the love that we have held for others will continue beyond this life into the next life, and there we will find the fullness that we yearn for in this life. In some ways, that grief, it makes us hold on. Just as these people in in the first century We're holding on. We're trusting in God. We're trusting in the love of God, in Jesus Christ, that in the end, all will be all right. And in the end, all will be all right. I don't know if any of you have yet seen on Netflix uh, the series, All the Light We Cannot See, based very loosely, on a book of the same title. And in this particular series, you are at the beginning of World War II. It's located in France. Daniel is the director of the museum in charge of all the precious gems there in uh, Paris. He has a young daughter by the name of Marie who is blind, whom he loves so fiercely. And as the Nazis uh, come into Paris and take over the city, Daniel takes all the precious gems from the museum. He wraps them up and tries to uh, ship them off where they will be safe from uh, the Nazis taking them. But he keeps in his possession one diamond. It's called the Sea of Flame. And the Sea of Flames has a legend that says whoever possesses this diamond will live forever. But the cost of having that diamond was that your loved ones would suffer great misfortunes. They would be cursed. You would have eternal life, but they would have suffering. There is a Nazi officer whose job it is to round up all of the precious gems in Europe and ship them back to Germany. But this guy wants the sea of flames for himself. 
You see, he's suffering from some great illness. It, it comes across as if he's uh, dying from cancer, and he believes with all his heart and soul that if he could just get the sea of flames in his hands, he would live forever. He is a man who is ruthless, brutal, doesn't value life, He's really a horrible guy, and he only is interested in one thing, and that is himself. And so in trying to track down this precious gem, the Nazi officer finds Daniel, and he takes him into an interrogation room, and he sits across from him with a pistol to his head, and he says, you tell me where that sea of flames is, or I will kill you before the end of this day. You tell me where your daughter is. You tell me where that gem is. And Daniel looks at him and says, I know you think the sea of flames will make you live forever. I'm sorry, it won't. Death will find you too. But the only thing that can save you is to love someone. That love will overcome even death. You see, this is exactly the message of the book of Revelation here, that the world can be a terrible place. But if we love someone, if we are loved by someone, we have the promise of eternity. We have the promise of life eternal. We have the promise that death and suffering shall be no more, that every tear will be wiped from every eye, and that those who go before us shall be reunited with us in some grand and glorious day. And so in this day, we celebrate the saints who have gone before us, the faith they have planted in us. And most of all, we celebrate the love of Jesus Christ that overcomes the world. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.